Gabriel, my main man. <laughs> Doug, my Doug. Hey, buddy, it's been too long. Yeah, well, maybe not too long. <laughs> so what have you been up to, Doug? Well, I'll tell you. I have been reading the Bible and trying to do everything that the Bible says to do. <laughs> hey, to the point that I even took a class to learn the Hebrew language. Wow, you took a class in Hebrew. That's yeah. really impressive, Doug. Thanks, yeah. thanks. Hey, you know what? It's actually not that difficult of a language after all. <laughs> hey, check this out. Hola, como esta? No, 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 no. Doug. Oh, Doug, hey, that's... by the way, that means, um, hi, how are you? <laughs> yeah, in Spanish. Well, it's all Greek to me. So. <laughs> I thought you said Hebrew. Right. Wait, or was it Latin? Regardless. Uh, you know, I, I've heard you've had some interesting deliveries recently. Deliveries? What, what, what deliveries? Well, I was talking with our mail carrier the other day, and yeah. he's a little concerned. Okay. Something about a package he delivered to you? Package? Yeah. Apparently, it was buzzing. Buzzing. Oh, oh that would be the locust. Locusts? Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I've been trying to do everything that the Bible says to do, so... Okay, that sounds good so far. Right, well, I'll tell you, John the Baptist, you know, he may have had a great fashion sense, but locusts and honey is not a delicacy. No, 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 Doug, that's, oh, that is, is not... awful. Oh, I'll tell you, trying to do what the Bible says, it's really, really hard work. For example, yeah. I've been really hard, trying really hard to walk on water. <laughs> really? Yeah, and I'll tell you something, it is difficult. That is hard to do. <laughs> but I have to say that recently, I've gotten really good at it. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. The strange thing is, I can only walk on water when it's less than 32 degrees outside. Ah, that's the <laughs> freezing temperature of water. Yeah, I know, that's weird. I don't understand it. Oh, yeah. and speaking of water, the other biblical thing I've been trying to do with water is turn water into wine. Okay. Yeah, I do not know how Jesus did that. I mean, that is hard to do. Now, what I have gotten good at is turning water into lemonade. <laughs> yeah. Well, that How's is... that going for me? That's really impressive. Thanks. Um, but that's not actually why I asked you to go to lunch today. Okay. I really wanted to talk to you about how things were going with the four impact areas we talked about earlier this year. Awesome. Let's do it. Okay, so that first area was invite. It was okay. all about inviting people to church. Right, right. So how's that going? It is going so great. I have invited a bunch of people to church. That's really good, Doug. Yeah, but then I started to think, you know, how am I going to get all of these people to church? So, again, I decided to, you know, do what the Bible says, and I'm building an ark. <coughs> Doug, you... Got to stop that right now. Well, good, because building an ark is hard work. Yeah. I tell you, I was trying to be as accurate as possible, but that's when I realized I don't even know what a cupid is. A cubit, Doug, is 18 inches. 18 inches. That's good to know. All right, so 18 inches by 300 cupids. Ooh, I am going to need to buy a whole lot more gophers. No, no. Not, not gophers, Doug. Go for wood. Oh, thanks, Dale. I think I will. You think you will what? Go for wood. Oh, just... 
Just stop it with the ark building, okay? All right, but you should see how many people come over to my house when it starts to rain. <laughs> Are we even zoned for that? Why am I asking the question? Of course we're not zoned for that. Quit it with the ark! All right, but I just had the floodlights installed. Get it? Floodlights? Floodlights? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I get it. It's <laughs> a good one. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's move right along. Right. Okay. Um, our second impact area okay. was called internalize, and it was all about memorizing scripture. So how are you doing with scripture memory? Oh, awesomely. <laughs> Check this out. Matthew 5, 13. Okay. Yo, you are the salt of the earth, my friend, but if it stops, how can it be salt again? It's worthless. Might as well throw it out and stomp it under your feet, no doubt. Huh. I tell you, I love that verse so much. I got a giant salt lick put in my living room. A salt lick? Yes, yes. I call it Lot's wife. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's just keep it moving. Okay, sure. Um, <clears throat> our third impact area yes. was called invest. Mm. And it was all about financial stewardship. Okay. And that is really all about just being responsible with your finances. Ooh, responsible, huh? Well, then you're not going to want to hear about what I did to my den. Oh, Dale, what did, Dave, what did you do, Doug? Well, uh, I'll tell you. You know, trying to read the Bible and do what the Bible says, I thought I should decorate my den a little more biblically. So I installed a couple of live lions. Lions? You built a lion's den? I did. I did oh, build a lion's geez. den. I, I don't think you've thought this through, Doug. My children play over there. Do you even know what they eat? Oh, I hadn't thought about that. That's a good point. Hey, do you think lions eat gophers? Yeah, probably. <laughs> All right, let's, let's, let's move along. Okay. Our fourth impact area yes. was called, do you remember? Um, something with an I. That's right, you got it. It was Catching on. initiate. Yes. So that's all about sharing the gospel with others. Mm. Now, sharing the gospel is one of our most important responsibilities as believers. But it's not just a responsibility. It's also a great privilege that we get to be such a critical part of God's plan for salvation. It's times like that when you can really feel God speaking to you. Yeah, yeah, God speaking to you. Hey, uh, Dale, do you know those big bushes out in front of your house? Yeah, the rose bushes. No, 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 the, the ones with the red flowers and the thorns. The rose bushes? Yes, those, yes. Um, well, right before I came over here, I was trying to, to hear God speak to me through your bushes. <laughs> Doug, you can't hear God speaking through my bushes. Yeah, I know, and that, that was the problem. So, again, I thought I'd try to do, you know, what the Bible says, and I took a little hint from Moses, and um, <clears throat> I might have set your bushes on fire. What? You, you did what? Oh, you know what? I hear God speaking to me now, telling me it's time no, to you, go. You can't. You See can't. now. Doug! <laughs> uh, I feel like I've got some clarifying to do. 
<laughs> I'm not sure the Bible has ever been taken out of context more than it just has. <laughs> but it's good to have those guys. Indeed, we're at this point now of towards the end of our year in which we want to look back on the challenge at the beginning of the year, and that is the four impact. And the challenge I want to bring to our church this morning is to finish strong. Let me ask you a question. What day are you going to die? Now, you don't know, and I don't know. But the reality of death often brings people to fear or even panic. But for Christ followers, for us, it can lead us towards confidence and towards purpose. With however many days that you have left, you get to decide how you are going to finish. Well, this morning, we're going to see from the scriptures how God calls us to finish strong. Let me show you. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And as you're turning there, I want to invite you to come back to church tonight. At 5 o'clock, we're going to be having a family meeting. One of the things that we do as a family, it's to gather around a table and regularly talk about things going on and things that are coming up in the future. Well, that's a healthy rhythm for churches as well. And so we're going to be having a family meeting tonight at 5 o'clock. Child care is provided for babies all the way up through kindergarten, age five. We'll have lemonade and popcorn for the family. We'll come together. We're gonna worship together. We're gonna pray together. We're gonna hear stories of impact of how God is working in the lives of people within our faith family. And we're gonna talk about the future in 2019 and beyond. And so I wanna invite you to come back tonight at five o'clock. It will be a really sweet time together. You know, part of my calling as your pastor is to prepare you for the day that you're going to stand before the Lord. And not only am I called upon to help prepare you for that day in which you stand before the Lord, but to also equip you for how to live every day up until that day. And as we look at the scriptures, we see that God has given us his son, who saves us for that day, but also by his grace and for his glory, he works in us and through us in this life as we prepare for that moment in which we see Jesus face to face. You know, as I think about us as a faith family, what I want to do as a church is continue to lift high Christ. Jesus says, if I am high and lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And it is the call upon churches to lift Jesus high to make Jesus big in their gatherings, yes, in their homes, yes, but throughout all of their lives. We're to lift high the cross of Christ. That was the passion of the Apostle Paul. We see this in 1 Corinthians 1.18, where he says that it's the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Now, if you go back to Acts 18, you see where Paul planted the church at Corinth. He had great love for these people, but it was a city that was morally depraved. In fact, the word Corinthian, it became an adjective to describe someone who was acting in evil or perverse ways. Sadly, the world influenced the church more than the church influencing the world. When you go throughout this book of 1 Corinthians, there's so much to see that takes place where worldliness has taken root in the hearts of the people. 
You see in chapter one where you see the church splitting in different directions and different factions where some say, I follow Apollos and I follow Cephas and I follow Paul and well, I follow Christ. You get to chapter three, you see spiritual immaturity. You get to chapter five, you see sexual immorality in the church and need for church discipline. In chapter six, we see them suing each other in court. In chapter seven, you see inaccurate views of marriage. And then you get to chapter eight, and you see people who are eating food that's sacrificed to idols. It became a stumbling block, indeed, for those who were Jewish brothers and sisters. And so in chapter nine, Paul points to the example that he has set for them as an an apostle, particularly how he has given up his rights for the good of others. He argues that even though he is an apostle and he has the right to be supported financially, he doesn't ask for it because that call for people to financially support him may hinder his gospel influence. He has such a passion for the lost that he adopts many uh, cultural customs around him because he wants to reach people. In fact, when you look at chapter 9, verse 22, we see that he becomes all things to all people so that he might by every possible means save some. You see, because Jesus gave up so much for Paul, Paul was willing to give up everything, even his own rights and liberties for the sake of Jesus. Paul was gripped by the transforming power of the gospel as one who had been so radically changed by grace on the Damascus road, Paul was willing to give Jesus his very best. Don't miss this. Grace motivates running hard for Jesus. If you've been changed by Jesus Christ, his grace motivates you to work hard for his glory. You don't run hard to be saved. You're saved, and so you run hard. You don't run hard for God to love you. He already loves you, and so you run hard. Your salvation was settled at Calvary's cross. And the proof of the salvation that you have is that you live your life for his glory. And at the end of chapter 9, Paul uses sports as a metaphor for how believers are to live their lives. Now, you see, athletics played a significant role in Corinthian culture. Every two years, Corinth would host the Isthmian Games, which was second only to the Olympic Games. Athletes would train for 10 months in gyms and in athletic fields preparing for these games. People would flock to the city to watch these competitions in running and boxing and in wrestling. And Paul knew this. So notice how he uses athletic imagery to communicate how we are to live. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, he says, Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Here in the text, Paul is illustrating for us how believers are to follow Christ. And he does so by pointing to athletics. As those who will one day give an account, we are to be like the athlete who commits to finish strong. Well, how do we do that? 
Let's look at the text. I want you to see three ways in the text that you must do to finish strong. The first is this. Number one, you must run to win. Run to win. Verse 24. Paul says, don't you know that the runners in the stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. You see, the aim of the runner is to win. In the words of a great NFL football coach, you play to win the game. What we see here for the believers is that we are to compete as if we want to win. Now, make note, we are not competing against one another. There's a sense in which we are competing against ourselves. But the, Paul, the point Paul is driving home here is the heart. It's the desire to win. Just as each runner enters the stadium with the desire to win, so too should we, verse 24, run in such a way as to win the prize. Question, how's your efforts? Are you giving Christ your best? Are you running at a pace that shows that you are hungry to win? That you wanna give your best for the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you passionate for him? Are you running hard after Christ? Hear the heart of Paul from Philippians chapter three in which he says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The phrase straining, it's like a runner who is reaching and stretching for the finish line, trying to finish in first place. This is the heart of Paul. He wants to finish his life straining and working and laboring for the sake of finishing well. Indeed, if you want to finish strong, you must run to win. But secondly, we must run for the eternal reward. Look at verse 25. Paul says, now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. You see, athletes exercise self-control, verse 25, in everything. They control the amount of sleep that they get. They control the types of foods that they eat. They control the amount of exercise that they need to compete at the top of their game. Instead of staying up late, they go to bed early. Instead of eating dessert, they eat healthy food. Instead of sleeping in, they're up working out. You see, athletes are rigorous in their self-control. Why? Because Paul tells us, verse 25, to receive a perishable crown. You see, winners in the Isthmian Games or the Olympic Games, they would receive a wreath as a crown. But their fame was just like the crown. It's temporary. It's perishable. It's not eternal. The question is, if these athletes are willing to exercise such self-control to receive a perishable crown, how much more? Should we labor and exercise self-discipline and work hard to receive an imperishable crown? That's Paul's point. The believers 
task is so much greater than receiving some, some temporary trophy. We have an eternal reward that is coming. Therefore, run for the eternal reward. I put in your notes five crowns that are mentioned in the New Testament that will be a reward for faithfulness to Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You see, at the judgment seat of Christ, believers will stand before King Jesus, and we will give an account for our lives, and we'll be rewarded for faithfulness to him. For Paul, he was so focused on his eternal reward that we see in chapters eight and nine, he was willing to give up his own personal freedoms for the good of others. He was willing to resist his fleshly desires and bring his body under strict control because there is an imperishable crown that is coming, which is far more valuable than any athletic trophy. Parents, hear me today. If you are letting your children's sports teams have a higher priority than Christ's church, it reveals wrong priorities. If you're more passionate about your child getting a plastic trophy rather than storing up treasures in heaven, then you need to check your hearts. Now hear me, it's good to compete in sports. It's good to want to win. It's good to work hard. But listen to me, winning trophies is not ultimate. In 1938, my grandfather was a long distance runner for Yale University. Well, one weekend, he had the opportunity to go run in a race. He qualified and got to go to the championship. Well, at that race, he gave his very best. And as he ran, all of a sudden, he started pulling away, and he won. He won a gold medal. Let me show you what it looks like. What used to be bright and shiny is now rusted and decayed. This once bright, beautiful ribbon is now hanging on by a thread. Crystal trophies championship banners, Stanley Cups, gold medals. It's all wood, hay, and stubble. It will not make it through the judgment. So parents, let's labor for something that lasts a whole lot longer. There is an eternal reward that is coming. And here Paul is saying, if you want to finish strong, you work for that. We run for the reward that lasts forever. Verse 25, an imperishable crown. How much more should we labor for what is eternal rather than what is temporary? We must heed the words of George Bernard in 1912, in which he says, so I will cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Hear me today. You have a cloud of saints who are rooting for you. They are cheering for you as they watch you labor and as they watch you follow Jesus. 
The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, he says, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep following him. Keep preaching the gospel. Keep making disciples. Keep building the church. Keep investing your life into what lasts forever. Finish strong. I want you to see thirdly from the text. Then in order to finish strong, you must run with discipline. Run with discipline. Look at verse 26. Paul says, so I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul is speaking metaphorically about running a race in verses 24 and 25. He says, verse 26, he's not running without purpose. But then he changes his metaphor here in the text by comparing his spiritual discipline of that of a runner to that of a boxer. He says, verse 26, I do not box like one beating the air. He's like a prize fighter who disciplines himself. He brings his body under strict control. He's not flailing his arms around without purpose, but instead he boxes with precision and with skill. He says, verse 27, I discipline my body. It quite literally means I give my body a black eye. Here's a guy who wanted so badly to finish well for Jesus, he made his body his slave. He exercised self-discipline and control. He kept his flesh in check. He intentionally sought to walk with humility and faithfulness. See, for Paul, he viewed his own flesh as his enemy. He recognized the need to exercise strict discipline. Some of your translations might say that he said, I beat my body and I make it my slave. You see, even earlier in the chapter, we see how he dis, dis, disciplined himself so that he would not be disqualified. Chapter eight, verse 13 says, therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall, won't cause them to stumble. See, for him, he was even willing to deny himself certain foods that even he was allowed to eat. He was free in Christ. His conscience was clear. He had no problem. But because that eating of that particular food was a stumbling block to his brothers and sisters, he says, I'm not gonna do it. I wanna do it for the good of others. I wanna serve my brother. I wanna serve my sister. He was willing to not offend weaker brothers. He refused financial compensation for his preaching. Indeed, he'd become all things to all people so that he might indeed preach the gospel. Paul knew that if he did not discipline himself for the purpose of godliness, he would preach the gospel and yet he would disqualify himself from service. Hear me today. As a believer, you must choose. Discipline yourself or disqualify yourself. Which do you choose? Are you daily abiding in Christ? reading his word, praying, evangelizing, sharing the gospel. 
Are you daily putting to death the desires of the flesh and going to Jesus for more grace? Are you daily considering others more important than yourself? Are you daily watching your life and your doctrine closely? And in so doing, saving both yourself and your hearers. See, if you're not daily denying yourself and picking up your cross and following Jesus, you will disqualify yourself. Now hear me, disqualification does not equal damnation. Your salvation, it's secure in Christ. Disqualified does not mean you lose your salvation, but it means it's a failure to fulfill Jesus' commission to evangelize the nations. See, discipline is never fun. It is far easier to sleep in than to get in the word. It's far easier to start your day on Facebook than on your face praying for unbelievers. It's far easier to keep your head down than to initiate gospel conversations. It's far easier to take a second look or to click on that image than to work hard in serving your wife. It's far easier to sit and watch football than to get up and lead your family in worship. But hear me today, if you want to finish strong, there are no shortcuts. Hear me today, you must discipline yourself for the eternal reward is greater than temporary pain. So you have to choose. Be lazy and waste your life or discipline yourself and have impact. It's a choice you've got to make. And how you decide this decision, it dictates how you're gonna finish. You gotta decide right now, how am I gonna finish my life? It means I'm gonna say, yes, yeah, for me, that's for my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. I'm gonna give Christ my best. He gave me his all, and so I'm gonna give back and worship my all for him. I'm gonna labor for the sake of the gospel. Which means, students, when you get to college, you don't punt on your faith. You double down. You say, I'm going to give my best to Jesus, and I'm going to redeem these college years, and I'm going to give him my best. It means, parents, that you are zealous for Christ. You're passionate for the Lord Jesus. He is the most important person in your life, and second place isn't even close. And this is good not only for your own soul, but for the souls of your children who are watching your life. It means senior adults, if you're saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make Christ everything. I'm going to pick up the pace. I'm going to run harder after Jesus. I want to give him my all so that as I run across the finishing tape, I fall into the arms of my Savior. It matters how you finish. So hear the word of God this morning, implore you, invite you, charge you to finish strong. May I say to you, there's far too many Christians who are unwilling to pay the price. This call from the text, this isn't easy. In fact, many believers allow their flesh, they allow the world, they allow the day-to-day grind, they allow other interests prevent them from becoming who God wants them to be. But hear me, just as you don't win championships by doing the bare minimum, you don't run faithfully with Jesus by doing the bare minimum. You can't coast. You can't mail it in. You can't rest on previous victories. 
You've got to say, I'm going to pick up the pace, and from this point forward, I'm giving Christ my best. I'm giving him my all because he's worthy in light of what he's done for me in the gospel. I'm not sure about you, but I want to run well, and I want to finish well. And part of God's call upon my life is to help you hear those words as you're sprinting across the finish line of this life. You hear those words, well done. Good and faithful servant. That's, that's what I labor for. That's what I pray for. Oh God, do that in the hearts of our church. May we be a people who labor for that well done. I want you to hear those words by remaining faithful to the Lord Jesus. This is why in 2018, we challenged our church with four ways to have impact. You heard it in the skit earlier. The four ways to have, to finish strong in 2018. Internalize four Bible verses per month. There's a challenge. I believe that you put the Bible in you, the Bible changes you. Indeed, we went with Psalm 119, verse 11. I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. It's a challenge we place before our church. We challenge our church to initiate four gospel conversations per month in which you're intentionally looking to share the gospel with people. You even notice it here in Paul's heart in chapter nine, verse 16, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. We challenge our church to invite four people to Westwood per month. What I love is over the past 12 months, we've had over 1,000 people who have been first-time visitors who have registered their information with us, 1,000. It's incredible. I'm like, man, you guys are doing great. Keep going. The last was to invest. Is for Westwood to give $4 million in 2018. If everyone is faithful and everyone is generous and sacrificial in our giving, not only are we gonna meet that $3.12 million budget that helps us to reach more people with the gospel, it helps us to advance the ball, we've doubled our missions budget, we've increased our ministry dollars, we're using every dollar given to advance the mission of Christ, but every dollar given above 3.12 budget goes directly on principle on debt. And indeed, if we as a church give $4 million this year, we're gonna retire $1 million on principle together. I love that. It's just by everybody being faithful. Everybody just being generous and sacrificial and we do it together because we're family, but it takes all of us to do it. You see, God wants you to finish well. And these four ways have been tools to help prepare you to finish well in this life. In fact, we've got a slide to show you where we currently are on our marble count. Out in the atrium, we've had these marbles and jars for every Bible verse you've memorized. We put a marble in there. Every Bible verse or every person you share the gospel with, you put it in there. Every uh, person you invite to church. So here's where we are as of right now. For our invites, uh, we've had over 1,030 marbles put in there. That's awesome. That, that, that's fantastic. Internalize. Uh, that word's misspelled up there, I think. Internal. I think that's right. Uh, we've had over 11, words are hard, y'all. Uh, over 1,100 Bible verses that we've memorized as a church. Love it. It's great. The initiate. Here's what's interesting. And I thought this was going to happen. Is that we are far more reluctant to share the gospel than we want to give ourselves credit for. We're gonna talk more about that in 2019, but we as a church are gonna get a lot better at personal evangelism. We've gotta be intentionally sharing the gospel with people. 
I think what's interesting here, the invest. As of this past week, uh, we're at the $2.6 million mark. Thank you for generosity. Thank you for being faithful. We're doing this together. It takes all of us. But I want to challenge you. Finish strong. Even as we look towards the end of 2018, pick up the pace. Be looking to invite more people and include them in our faith family. Doors are open. Come hear the gospel. Let's be together and make much of Jesus. Memorize the word. Hide it in your hearts. Look for opportunities to share the gospel with coworkers, with neighbors, with your children. And keep being faithful. Keep being faithful as you financially invest in the gospel. May I say to you, God is rooting for us to finish well. He loves you so much. And he stands at the finish line calling out your name. Come on, finish, run hard. But he's also inside of you, empowering you, strengthening you by his grace. He's imploring you. He's giving the desire and the ability to follow Jesus passionately. This leads us to our impact point, and it's this. Commit to finish strong for the glory of Jesus Christ. As ministry in Galilee was coming to a close, Jesus made his way south because he was going to finish strong. He told his disciples in the upper room he was going to finish strong. As he stood on trial, he answered questions with conviction because he was going to finish strong. As he was hanging on the cross, he forgave his executioners because he was going to finish strong. As he was hanging on the cross, he forgave the thief next to him because he was going to finish strong. And as he was panting and taking his last breath, he cried out to Telestai, it is finished, because he was going to finish strong. And on the third day, he got up out that grave and he finished strong. This is why you and I keep going. This is why we give Christ our best, because he gave us his best all the way to the cross and the empty tomb. So let's keep following hard after him. Let's together commit to finish strong for the glory of Jesus Christ until the day he calls us home.